Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're going to hear part two of Bridget C.V.'s story. Last week, we heard how she grew up in a fundamental Baptist church, a church that she loved to serve in, how she met her now ex-husband, and when the abuse started. So this week, she is going to tell us how she left, what was the breaking point of that decision to leave her now ex-husband, and what was the aftermath of that decision also going to hear about how she's doing today and some of the challenges that she's still going through right now. So I don't want to delay any further hearing part two of my conversation with Bridget. Here she is. Me one more time. We're gone. You'll never find us. We're, We're, I'm out. And so he stopped. He was not happy about it. He did not like the fact that I was setting boundaries, but um, he did it. He went to one anger management class and he thought he was just the greatest man in the world for going to this one anger management class. He bought a book and he read it, uh, you know, book about taming your anger, but like he was still punching holes through the walls. He literally tore a door off the hinges because I shut the door and didn't want to talk to him because he was screaming and he literally ripped the door off the hinges. How big um, was this guy? He was not tall, but he was very muscular. Wow. Very, very muscular. So he was, he was just a really strong dude. Um, which means he, he hit pretty hard. <laughs> it didn't mm-hmm. take very many punches to, to keep me in line. Um, and that's, that's not funny, but I can't help but laugh about it. because You gotta laugh or you cry sometimes, right? you know? Yep. So he, he didn't hit me again throughout the pregnancy. He left my body alone. There was a lot still of the psychological and emotional abuse. I was told I was no longer attractive to him. He called me a a hippopotamus all the time. Um, You know, I'm carrying his child, but that doesn't mean anything. So it was just, it was really just an emotional, I was an emotional wreck. I really was that whole marriage. I was just I was a miserable person. Um, and then add, you know, pregnancy hormones on top of that. Mercy. Yes. Whew, that was a mess. <laughs> I was a train wreck. Um, so after my daughter was born, um, the abuse did not start right away, but he started getting more pushy. Um, I don't know how much of this I want to talk about, but statistically, I've, I've studied this quite a bit, but statistically, a lot of domestic violence situations also come with sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of that right after my daughter was born. Because I, I mean, I wasn't, I had, ha- I had had a C-section. 
I was struggling with breastfeeding. Like I was having a really hard time. I actually had postpartum depression. And so I wasn't exactly in the mood for things. Well, your body wasn't ready for sex again right. at that point. Right. Yeah. And so he was not okay with that. And so there was a lot of that kind of abuse that happened uh, shortly after my daughter was born. Um, and so then it all just kind of started up again. I, I had to shut myself back down and stop making these boundaries because he was going to hit me and I didn't want him punching me while I was holding my daughter. And um, so I just did whatever he said, tried to keep the peace, walked on eggshells all the time. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was never enough. He would still have angry outbursts, even if I did do everything right, you know. So this went on for another year. And then when my daughter was, um, she was just over a year old, he had an angry outburst and he wasn't hitting me. He did take a swing at me, but he missed. Um, but he again punched a hole in the door, through the door, like literally punched all the way through the door, which was mm. crazy. Um, and then he was throwing things and he threw my keys through a canvas painting that I had made. And that canvas painting was sitting not two feet from my daughter. Oh, wow. And that scared me because if he had missed, he would have hit my daughter in the face with those keys. And that I, something snapped again, mama bear came out, I think. And we almost got into a knockdown drag out right there. I'd never, ever, ever hit him back. I'd never pushed him. I had never even blocked a punch or anything, but that moment, I was like, you almost hit my daughter. Yep. You're done. You're done. We're not doing this anymore. And so my daughter and I left. We weren't leaving for good, but we walked out. It's like, I'm going to go to the store and I need you to calm down. And so then, of course, he goes into, he was angry for a little while, but then he started crying and apologizing. He was so, so, so sorry that this had happened. And he doesn't want my daughter to see that kind of side of him and all of this just stuff to make me feel <laughs> pity right yes um and so we came back and he hugged and cried and literally sobbing I don't think the guy I think he has absolutely no emotions whatsoever um but he was just crying like a baby as if he had just something broke in him and he was so sorry mm, I think those were crocodile tears a L- little bit little bit so um because it didn't stop obviously Mm -hmm. but I did I was straight up with him and I told him that I was not staying with him doing this and I told him straight up I don't care if you kill me I'm not going to sit here and let you do this to me in front of my daughter and Mm -hmm. so then of course he's like I would kill you why would I kill you well you've been threatening me with a gun for three years but yeah so um Anyways, I started setting boundaries and I started keeping them because I was serious. I could not let my daughter grow up in that and then somebody treat her like that one day. Like that, I can't think of a word other than it broke the cycle that I was in. It Something snapped mentally where I just realized that I could not keep allowing this kind of stuff because um, my daughter was going to grow up and do the same thing I'm doing. And I just, I couldn't have that. So I started setting boundaries, you know, simple ones like, uh, don't hit me, (laughs) stop cheating on me, you know, just simple. He was cheating on you too? He cheated on me the whole time that we were together. (sighs) 
even before we got married. Of course, I didn't know that until after we got married. But um, yeah, he cheated on me the whole time. So just setting basic boundaries and he acted like he was the victim all of a sudden. And I was controlling and I was mean. And I'm like, telling you not to hit me is controlling and mean. It just, Mm. it it was such a psychological, just, it was like a tornado of things that were going on in my head. And so then he actually left, he left me. And of course told his family that I was controlling and he told them that I was cheating on him. It's like, okay. Um, so I, I lost his whole family. I was so close to his family. Mm-hmm. And there are only two of them that I've ever spoken to since then. Um, so then during this process, there was another time that he, he beat me up. That's the simplest way to say it. He beat me up. He was drunk. He got, he just got so mad. I don't even remember what he was mad about, but he, I mean, I had literal hand marks on my arm from where he had grabbed me and yanked me so hard. Um, I had bruises on my face, scratches on my face. Um, I had bruises on my neck from where he had put his hands around my neck. And I went to the pastor because I, you know, realizing through all this stuff, I couldn't do it by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went to the pastor of the church that we had been faithfully serving in for six years. And told him that I needed help and you know I didn't even tell him what was happening but I was covered in bruises I figured he could figure that out and he told me that I was not praying hard enough for my husband yeah I've heard that before it's sad it's disgusting that that's what they do but I know he's not the only one that thinks that and so I apparently my ex-husband had talked to him about me being controlling Um, I didn't know that my past, that my ex had talked to him about it, but, um, so he then told me that I wasn't being submissive to him and that that would make any red blooded American man angry for his wife. not being. So it was just, I, you know, I loved this man. This man had told me he loved me for six years. These people in this church said they loved us. They loved our family. They all came to my wedding. They came to the baby shower. Like they held my baby. And they all turned their backs on me again. Like the people I grew up with did the same exact thing. And now I'm in this other church thinking it's a different environment. And I'm the victim, which I hate that word, honestly. But like. You are a survivor, sister. I didn't feel that for a long time, but I, I do believe that now. But it just, it was crazy that then when we got divorced, which he left me and I told my pastor that it's like, I didn't even file for divorce. He, he left, but I was told that I no longer fit the image of what the church stood for. So I was not allowed to serve in that church anymore. either. Again. again. Um, and again, I had worked on the bus route. I was playing the piano during children's church. Like I was very, very active. I was teaching Sunday school at this point and I was removed from it all again because I was divorced now you talk about a a blow to self-worth or whatever you want to call that like that. Like I didn't even ask for this. I never stopped serving even through the darkest months of my life. And yet you're telling me I don't fit the image when my husband is the one that left. And my husband is the one that was beating me to a pulp repeatedly 
but I don't fit the image. And so that, that mm-hmm. damaged my relationship with God because all I'd ever seen God as was this authority figure. So the pastor was the authority figure. My husband was the authority figure. My father was the authority figure. So I thought they were all kind of on the same ground. So I figured if these guys are done with me, God has to be too. And not to mention the fact that I had checked all these boxes and done all of this stuff that I was supposed to do. And I never had peace. I never had joy or any of this other stuff that people had talked about. And so I just, that's when I walked away. Like this can't be real. This stuff cannot be real. Um, You know, I, I believe that no God would allow all of this stuff to happen to somebody. And um, so that's when I said, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want it. So I walked away from the church. It took a while. Even after they told me that I still stayed for a while um, because I just didn't know what else to do other than go to church. Like that's all I'd ever done. So I kept going for several more months after that conversation. And then you know, people were just not talking to me. I would come in and sit and I would cry and I would take my daughter to the nursery and I'd pick her up and people would talk to my daughter and look through me like I wasn't standing there. And it just, it is just unacceptable. Yeah. It was really, really sad. It was really hurtful. I don't even know what else to say about it. Like it was just, that ruined my idea of what Christianity was. So I, left that and actually became an atheist for a while um i mean i and i studied atheism because i wanted to understand some other version of how this of how earth came to be and so i studied i wanted to really fully believe that there was no god um i'm sorry am i going on a tangent here (laughs) No, you're, you're, you're going right along with my questions, actually. <laughs> uh, so I, I studied all the arguments of how there is no God. Like I listened, I read some books and I studied it. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and fully tried to believe that there was no God. However, um, you know, when I, my first year of college, I was still the good little Baptist girl, you know, and so all of my papers and speeches had something to do with God. I wasn't going to a Christian school, Mm -hmm. uh, though I felt like it was my duty to talk about God in this secular school, you know, and so there was one paper that I wrote about how you could believe that the Bible was true. And so I had studied that out, you know, and it had been, of course, nearly 10 years at this point since I had studied. Well, not quite that long, but since I had studied it, it had been several years. And so I studied it and I just couldn't get those things out of my head. I, because I fully believed those things at one point. And so I kind of looked into those again and then tried to counter them by studying the atheist side of it. And I just never, I just couldn't get it out of my head that maybe he was real mm-hmm. and maybe I was just doing it wrong which I was but um because I had attached my salvation to what I was doing 
all of the, mm-hmm. the, so to speak, of the proof of my salvation. That's what I was attaching my salvation to. I, I wasn't putting my trust in Jesus because I was doing what I was supposed to do. Um, and so I, I started reading again. Oh, I, I actually started studying Jesus because to me, it all came down to, did Jesus walk this earth? Was he a mm-hmm. real man yep. or was he not? And so I studied Jesus. I looked up documents and, uh, so, you know, I, I don't remember the website. There was one really, really good website that I went to that had both um, atheist view and, you know, the documented proof of that Jesus did walk this earth. And so I saw that he did walk the earth. There's eyewitness, like there's all kinds of documentation that he was actually here. And then there's eyewitness documentation of him dying on the cross and then documentation of him being alive again. Right. He's a, he's a historical figure. I mean, like Julius Caesar and Alexander the great. And even if you don't believe that he's God. Yeah. Can't, and you can't dispute that if you really look at the facts, you know? And so I decided to start reading the Bible again and Uh, I started in the book of John and I read about the life of Christ. What, you know, I read about what he did while he was here. um, And then I started seeing the things that he actually said and the way he treated people. It it was so different than how I had understood it when I was growing up. Um, He was so kind to people and even to people that, especially to people that didn't deserve it. You know, the, the woman at the well and murderers literal murderers like the, he was just so kind to people that he wasn't even technically quote-unquote supposed to be kind to <laughs> and that just understanding that really shifted things for me understanding who he really was I hadn't stepped foot in a church in long time I, I mean it was I say a long time it felt like a long time it was probably three years since I had been in a church. Mm-hmm. And so I walked into a church. They were having a revival meeting and I went in and the guy was preaching from the book of John. That just seemed you know, coincidental being that that's what I was studying myself. And so he laid out the gospel in the most beautiful way. I mean, I wish I could remember and articulate how he said it because it was just so beautiful the way he presented the gospel there and it's just it it was a way i'd never heard it before and so i understood it the way he presented it and uh it took a few more weeks um i did start going to that church and and started going faithfully and listening and um took several was that a baptist church it was a baptist church but um not an independent fundamental baptist church Mm. Um, but I mean, Baptist is literally the only thing I've ever known. So now I don't even consider myself a Baptist, honestly, but at the time that was kind of what I still migrated to. So, but I mean, this church is so, so, so different than other churches. So, um, anyway, it took a few more weeks, but then I finally, um, gave my life to Jesus and actually put my trust in him instead of what I was doing. Um, and so that, that was a big shift in my relationship with God, obviously. It was a real deal in this time. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, this, 
my salvation before my mom had told me that I got saved when I was three and I didn't remember it, you know, so whenever anybody would ask me, I would just say, you know, yeah, I got saved in the nursery when I was three, but I didn't remember it. So it wasn't, it was never even a personal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I claimed what my mother had told me and then I served my butt off trying to earn, you know, what salvation was. So yeah, just actually realizing that there was absolutely nothing that I could do to get myself there. It had to be through the grace of God. Um, and that's why Jesus came. And so realizing that just literally changed everything. I hear that a lot also, especially kids that were raised in a Baptist church or raised a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid. They've been around it their whole life and they don't, they don't connect the heart with the, with the mind because so much pressure is on these kids. And the more that you do, the more spiritual you look and they don't ever have the chance to examine their own faith. What do I believe? Do I have a connection with the God of the universe or am I just, you know, going through the motions? I think a lot of people listening have been through the same thing that you went through. I also wanted to swing back towards when you were with your ex-husband, you were trying to be submissive and you were trying to be quiet and not to make him angry. And I hear all the time that whole, well, you need to submit more or you need to pray more. And they told me that too. And I, when I um, got counseling with my ex, you're not submitting to your husband or you wouldn't have any marriage problems. Right. But you can tell that you were trying not to rock a boat, walking on eggshells, doing everything possible not to get him upset or get him angry, but it doesn't work. It just gives him more power, right? Yep. Absolutely. It does. Cause he knew he could get away with anything. He could turn literally anything into being my fault. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> he still does it. Like he could walk in the door he literally at one point walked in the door I said hi honey and he shoved me against the wall and kept walking and I was like what just happened right and then he came back at me and apparently the way I said hi honey was accusatory like because he was he was late coming home but I didn't say anything about him being late coming home and so he literally turned that around to being my fault and mm-hmm. The mental gymnastics that it took to get to that point was just staggering, honestly. Just yeah, crazy. I went through the same thing with my ex. He never hit me, but he did all the other abuses. But that's what narcissism is. I never knew what that word meant until yep. I got out of my relationship. It's a mind game. They play these mind games. They call you all kinds of names, blame you for stuff that didn't even happen. Just it's insanity. So I'm I'm sick of these pastors and the counselors telling people to submit more. Yeah. Because it doesn't work. No. That that are you're so right saying it gives them more power. You're just a piece of dirt 
on underneath somebody's shoe and they just keep shoving you down further. It's just, I don't know. But I noticed that when you were pregnant, he did stop temporarily. He did temporarily. So um, he can stop. Yes. It's um, it's like feeding the beast. You keep feeding him. He's just going to get bigger and uglier. And, and but... I pray to stop. He, I mean, he's remarried. And I, I pray for that woman. She's yeah. not a very nice person either. Um, she's, she's been pretty ugly to me several times. But I pray for her. I pray that he changed something. I don't think he has because he's still abusive to me. He threatens me all the time. Um, crosses a lot of boundaries with me. Um, he actually is currently stalking me. Um, so that's super fun. It's been about a year and a half since the last time he was physically harmful to me. Uh, we had gotten into an argument and every, every conversation that we have now, I demand that it is over text message. Because oh I yeah. I, in Florida, you're not allowed to record somebody. You can't use it in court if you record somebody without their permission. Well, he's not going to give me permission <laughs> to record him when he's threatening me. Right. So I don't want to have conversations with him that are not in writing. And so he was going on about something. And I said, listen, I'm going to go inside now. If you have something you need to talk about, text me. And so I turned around and he shoved me and... I ended up falling and hitting my face on my car and it broke my nose. Um, and so, you know, of course I called the police and that's, that's a whole other side of the story of, of how I was treated by the police in this area, just crazy. But um, of course nothing happened to him because there were no witnesses and whatever. So that's another reason why he feels like he can get away with stuff because unless there's some kind of video or multiple witnesses saying, Hey, yeah, I saw him do this. They don't take it seriously. That's uh, a good, a good tip because I figured that, that out too, that I would only communicate him with, with email. I wouldn't even give him my phone number because you could trace where, where I was. You got to document get one of them cheap one of those doorbell cameras yeah i have one of those now they record a lot of stuff they do yes and they're pretty inexpensive i mean they've gotten cheaper over the years but that's a really good policy to have is have something in writing of the conversations because eventually they'll forget what they're typing to you yeah yeah he's done that a few times (laughs) and then Um, you could show people um this is what he said. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, last year, my daughter's birthday, actually, we got into a massive argument and he said that he was going to come to my house, whether I wanted him to or not. And I was like, um, no, you're not. So I have that in text message, you know. Um, but unfortunately, with the parenting agreement the way that it is, um, I have to give him my address. I don't have a choice. And he knows where I work because I try to, I try to shield my daughter from how awful he is. I don't Mm want to, she's going to figure that out on her own, unfortunately. Um, So I don't want to say things that are going to make her uncomfortable around him or make her scared of him or anything like that. Um, So 
she, I don't, I can't, I, I can't, I haven't figured out a way to, t- to say, don't tell daddy where I work without it being weird. So he always finds out where I work because she tells him and he has to know where I live because that's in the court documents. Um, I'm actually working really hard to take him back to court to change those things. Mm. So hopefully it'll all line up to where I can get a new place to live, a new phone number, and get this paperwork in order all at the same time so I'm, I can kind of start fresh and he maybe won't know where I live. He'll probably figure it out, but it would at least give me a chance for a little while to have him not know where I'm at. Um, cause it's he just, has, um, has he hurt your daughter in any way? No. Um, and that was another very frank conversation that he and I had. Um, and this is probably not something I should have said, but I told him that I will have a smile on my face in the mugshot if he hurts my kid. Mm-hmm. That's that's not how this is going to happen. Um, I said I I will not feel sorry for what happens if you hurt my child. They're trying to protect her. Yeah, She's innocent and doesn't deserve that. And I mean, he's seen because the only times that I ever stood up for myself were because of my daughter. That mama bear instinct just took over my fragile little shy self, and he saw that. And I think it. I don't know he because he hasn't hurt her and she's very very open with me um she has asperger's so she's like she talked to me oh wow about everything um she's very 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 open with me about not so yeah. much with other people but she doesn't have any bruises anywhere <laughs> nope um no bruises she's not scared of him she doesn't really like going to his house because i mean he's an angry person so She's used to our house where we have a very peaceful home now. It's very quiet. We don't yell and scream and there's no throwing things. And, you know, that kind of stuff does happen at his house sometimes. And so she, she's already seeing that he and I are very different in how we react to things. Um, but so. It's really difficult, but I'm, I'm super proud of you, what you've gone through and where you've come you've come so far how has the process of healing been going for you i mean what has worked for you what what are you still struggling with I me mean, besides the whole custody battle here the healing has been very slow <laughs> um in fact i was not even able to verbalize that my ex-husband was physically abusive to me until I don't know a year and a half ago I finally said you know I don't I don't have to keep this secret for him anymore um and so I started being a little bit more open I don't really have people around me that I'm super close to um but I don't defend him anymore so if somebody says well was he abusive yeah he was so it's been a really, really slow process. I was very, very closed, closed off to people for so many years. I feel like it's going well. Um, obviously, I wish I was a lot further along than I am. I have complex PTSD. So I do still struggle a lot with flashbacks. Um, I have nightmares almost every single night. So wow. um, that's, that's a, definitely a struggle. Um, 
that's that's what I'm working on now. I'm trying to kind of process everything and and really just kind of get it out of my head, you know, and try to file things the way they're supposed to be filed. So um, that's that's a struggle, but it's also I I can see the progress that I've made, even just the last year. Heck, even just the last six months, um, I can see how far that I've already come. Um, so one thing I noticed that helped me a lot, because um, I feel like understanding God better has helped me heal a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I actually started a study on the attributes of God. Ooh, good one. Paralleling them with reasons why I don't trust God and different fears that I have. And so I've, I've been comparing those things to what I know of the character of God. And that has really, really helped um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't know that I could even word exactly how that has helped um, change things for me. So that's been really good, that study. Um, I'm actually, even now, I'm starting that study with my daughter, Mm -hmm. teaching her the attributes of God early on. She's only six years old, but I'm teaching her now because I want her to have a good grasp on who God really is because I know that she's going to get, I mean, her dad, her dad is still independent fundamental Baptist. So I know that she's going to be exposed to the same kind of things that I was um, as far as, you know, the spiritual abuse side of things. So um, she and I are studying already study. We study the Bible all the time. She's, she just sucks it in and absorbs it like crazy. That's great. Uh, So that's been good. Yeah. It's wonderful. Which um, character in the Bible do you think you relate to the most? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question and I still, it's a struggle to pick one because I, (laughs) I've, I mean, I've known these Bible stories my whole life, literally, Mm -hmm. but actually rereading them now and going through and studying them. It's like, it's just so different. Different lens. Mm -hmm. Yes. So different. So I'd have to say, I'd have to pick Hagar Mm. um, for several reasons. One being that basically she's a single, single mom, like she has this kid and she's by herself. And Mm -hmm. that's been me for, I've been a single parent now for um, five years. So I, I relate to that part of it, her being alone and, and just her and her kid. And she's doing what she has to do to protect her child. And trying to provide for her child and God seeing her and providing for her. But then also, I mean, she was very much mistreated by the people that were supposed to protect her. Yeah. Um, so I, I can relate to that portion of it as well. So I, I would have to say, Hey, yeah, she was pretty much a slave and uh, didn't have any rights in those days. You had zero rights and, and, um, I love what you said about her that, you know, God sees me because uh, I hear a lot of people, they said that, well, God abandoned Hagar because, you know, God told her to go back. Well, if she would have stayed out there in the desert, she would have died. There was nowhere to go because a single mom, you, you were either assaulted in the desert, you couldn't get a job, you couldn't own any property. You didn't have any parents to go to. Yeah. You had nowhere to go. And so 
Yeah, maybe not going back to Abraham and Sarah was fun, but God provided for her needs and gave a promise to her son. Yeah, He's going to do something with his lineage, so. I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Got a lot of folks listening to your story, and it's so powerful. And they're saying, I can relate to a lot of stuff that Bridget said today. What advice would you give to those listening right now going through the exact same thing? This is going to sound a little cliche, but I would definitely say just trust God. That's something I struggled with a lot and still do. I really do. But find I would also say find your identity in Christ. Um, I have never been the, the type of person that saw myself as a victim. I hate the fact that I was a victim. I cannot stand that word. But I mean, I, I, I was a victim. And so I, for a while, my identity was all those terrible things that have happened. Like that's I just have a target over my head and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And so that's where my my identity came from and it made me feel very worthless you know and very unlovable and now that i'm still i still struggle with this but now that i'm finding my identity in christ how he sees me even my i've done some horrible sins in my life you know it's it's not all bad things that have happened to me i've done my fair share of bad things as well mm-hmm. and so finding how god sees me even still through all of this stuff that has been very humbling and very healing and very comforting to see that through all the things that have happened to me and all the things that I myself have done, he still loves me and he still wants to know me and he still wants to have a relationship with me that I I don't even know how to say this, but if you can just study that and try to find your identity and anchor your identity in Christ. That can be a serious game changer, no matter mm-hmm. where you are in, in the healing journey. Um, as far as someone that they're still going through the domestic violence, find the people around you that will keep you safe. The ones that will support you. There are a million people that are going to throw you out with the bathwater, but there are a few that will have your back. There are a few that will come beside you and say, what do you need? What can I help you with? Find those people. If you're not around them now, go somewhere else. If, yes. if the church that you're in is not supporting you and they're telling you that you, ha- you have to stay because divorce is wrong, find another church. There will yeah. be people that will help you. So that's something I wish that I had been told, you know, 10 years ago. So that's, I think that's all that I would say. Very wise advice. Yeah. You're, you're very active on Twitter. And I'm sure that you would say, hey, reach out to me if you need somebody to talk to, somebody to support. Everybody listening knows they can contact me through multiple means because we are here for everybody listening today. Yeah, for sure. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, so either one, you can get a hold of me. And I don't know if you mentioned if you were going through therapy or not. I am. 
um, I'm actually going through it with a Christian counselor, um, a biblical counselor. So that's that's been good too. Um, yeah. To work on going through the trauma process of things and processing all the traumas and stuff. But so they're trauma informed. It sounds like they are. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty rare to find a yeah. biblical counselor that's trauma informed. Uh, and you're always welcome to come into my Mending the Soul group. I'll roll the red carpet out for you. Oh, cool. <laughs> thanks. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. This hour has just flown by. It has, yeah. And definitely keep in touch and and keep healing and keep trusting the Lord. Same to you. And God bless you. And, and Happy New Year, right? Yes, Happy New Year. I'll it's a brand new year. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.